Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my brave man without a heart, Palmer. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? How, do you, how are you without a heart? How does that work? It's really just a mouse with a little spinning wheel. Oh, okay. It's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just a little Mac spinning wheel just waiting. Yeah. You're just stuck. <laughs> I assumed that the wizard, like, revoked it afterwards. <laughs> just, no, you're not allowed. Give me, give me back this. You're not allowed. All right. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about the 1996 Best Picture nominees. Are you ready for them? I know I you am. are because you've seen them. Sense and Sensibility, Babe, Il Postino, otherwise known as The Postman, Apollo 13, and Braveheart. Now, I'm sure you know what won Best Picture. Il Postino. That would be incorrect. No? No. I know you know it's Braveheart. <laughs> Braveheart. Everyone knows it's Braveheart. <laughs> Some people may think it's Apollo 13 because that movie has... Uh, kept maybe its popularity, right? You know, so people might be confused. As well, it helps that no one in that movie suffered any sort of ill effects. <laughs> yeah, disgrace. Yes, that also helps, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, that's true. We just like slide that Oscar over a little bit. <laughs> that's a good point. I don't think that's. We'll talk about it when we get there. Yeah. So let's actually start talking about these films with Sense and Sensibility. Oh, that is actually the first movie I watched. It's the first movie I watched. I think I actually just put them in order. I wanted I to see them. Sea Monsters. There are no Sea Monsters in this movie. As I said, it's as I said to you off, uh, Mike, it's not even close to the sea. Yeah. The Thames doesn't count. That's oh. a river. Fine. Fine, indeed. <laughs> Sense and Sensibility, directed by Ang Lee, written by Emma Thompson, based on the novel by Jane Austen, starring Emma Thompson, Kate Winslet, James Fleet, Hugh Grant, Alan Rickman, and a slew of other of other people. <laughs> and that, every British actor. And, and if they were in Harry Potter, chances are <laughs> they were in this movie. Including, but not limited to, Imelda Staunton, Hugh Laurie. Tom Wilkinson. I know I named three, but two of them weren't in Harry Potter. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Tom Wilkin starring Tom Wilkinson's a stretch. That's why I didn't add him in this <laughs> in this list. Although if you go to IMDb, he's like the fourth person listed. Because they usually I've noticed they list by appearance. Yeah, they've been doing that, which is awful when I'm trying to assemble who's actually the star <laughs> the stars of the movie. It's not helpful. Anyway. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress for Emma Thompson, Best Supporting Actress for Kate Winslet, Costume Design, and Best Music for Patrick Doyle. It won Best Adapted Screenplay. For Emma Thompson. For Emma Thompson. Mm -hmm. That is correct. So for those of you who do not know the plot of Sense and Sensibility, it revolves around the rich Mr. Dashwood, who was played very briefly by Tom Wilkinson, uh, who dies, leaving his second wife and her three daughters poor by the rules of inheritance so you basically because they're daughters and not sons right by the rules of the get land, out they they can't own they can't own the house they this live is in. essentially how downton abbey started that's not at all well kind of actually i i was i was gonna say that's not it, <laughs> not but, at all wait a second but you're right it is that is the same it's the same rule because yeah. the cousin dies and so lord grantham is like oh no now i need i have this heir quick call Call a locksmith. No, yep. JK. You, you, need to, you need to go marry your, a relative you so you guys can stay here. You need to go marry your cousin so we can stay in this house when I die. Yep. 
Yeah. What a great show. I missed that one, Abby. The movie's coming out. I know. And I'm excited. I got to watch every season before watching that movie again so I can be slightly disappointed when I watch it because it won't meet my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? So anyway, the two eldest daughters, Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet, are the titular opposites. They they are not. One is sensible and one is sensibility? Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. Anyway, so then, of course, hijinks and love ensue <coughs> because, you know. Because it's a Jane Austen. Men in their lives, and it's Jane Austen. Yeah. Exactly. That is correct. So so that's the plot. Um, I think this is an excellent adaptation of the book. But I I will You've say You've read the book. I will say from the start Jane Austen is not my thing. Okay. It's she's just it's not for me. She, it, it's it's lauded chiclet. You know, not mm-hmm. to be confused with lauded chickpeas. Right. Right. It's it, it she's an she's an excellent writer. J, Jane Austen is an excellent writer who deserves all the praise that is that is given towards mm-hmm. her. It's just not my thing. Okay. So remove. So if I was to say my my personal opinion of this movie, I found it dull because it's not my thing. I think the I think the performances are very good. I think it's very well adapted from its source material. I think everyone is utterly charming. It looks fantastic. The costumes are great. The music's good. It's all there. It's just not my thing. So ultimately, I say watch it if it's your thing. If it's not. It's not your thing, but I think it also ages well. Right. Um, I will say that I I find Jane Austen's stories to be good. Like her her oh yeah her broad brush story. We're not talking about any sort of um, dialogue. I've never read the book, so I don't know about like how she can describe a scene. Mm-hmm. But her overarching stories, I've always really liked. Um, I will agree with you that I find this a little dull. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Jane Austen adapted lately to more to more of a modern sensibility. Um a that be sense and sensibility. Yeah, yeah see. Um that being said like Pride Prejudice and Zombies. I'm not saying that they like you needed to have Zombies and Pride and Prejudice or sea monsters to be good. But I'm just talking about how how the actors portray the characters, they don't take it as seriously. And when I want a like a a romance of this kind of ilk, I don't necessarily need the really dry seriousness. So you want satiric Jane Austen? That's just kind what you of like more. Um, and then even then, I've seen a play recently of Pride and Prejudice that people are having fun with the role. It wasn't really satirical. But people were expressing themselves. It wasn't as dour at times. Sure. You've, I didn't find this dour. I, no, I found I, it, dour was a bad word. But yeah, the, I just a, felt... It's a comedy. I just felt the actors... It's almost It's almost like watching um, a Laurence Olivier uh, Anything. Shakespeare. Sure. You know, he's, it, they're, they're taking it very seriously. Like, I don't, I don't see the actors having fun. Sure. And they might have. Like, they might have had a blast. There's that one scene in Lawrence Olivier's Hamlet worth having fun with Peter Cushing. And he's like, <laughs> I, I have a message for you, sir. And they're like, mm-hmm, yep, me and Horatio are just going to wiggle and laugh and stuff. They have fun in that scene, clearly. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I agree with you. It looks great. Ang Lee, as we said last episode, 
oddly enough, actually last episode. That's true. Um, is a great visual director. It was weird. I know a lot of the scenes were shot outside, mm-hmm. but there were a few outside shots that looked like it was just like five feet of outside and then a matte painting. Maybe because it was. It might have been. Or because it's supposed to have a pastoral look, you know, like yeah. like, like a painting. So that's what he was going for. We Talking of Ang Lee, we said this before, his movies are slow. So, yes. so if you're not into Jane Austen, plus he's slow to begin with, right? it's just not a winning combination from a directorial side. But stepping back, I can recognize this as a, as a great adaptation. Yes, I think this is a. I think this is about as good of an adaptation of a Jane Austen movie as you're going to get. I just wish. I just wish it came off a little, a little lighter or a little bit more fun. Sure, I, I will say, I everyone's just very earnest. I think that's probably yeah. the word that we're looking for, which is fine. But sometimes earnestness doesn't get the laughs. Comedies don't necessarily need to be classified as something that gives you laughter. They just don't have to depress you. So, and, and this is not... Everyone ended up happy in this movie. Right, that's... that's and I'm here comedy. alone. I was depressed. Okay. So this movie failed. I'm standing right here. Well, we're not... I'm sitting with you, but, you know. Um, so you the know, characters are yeah. supposed to be happy at the end. I don't know, if, you know. I don't think Alan Rickman is ever happy. No, he's happy at the end. Uh, is he really? I think like, so. he's he's her second choice. No, he's not. He is. She she wants the other guy. Oh, oh, oh! Who's, she's his second. No, he he's her second choice. Yeah. Okay. I had it flopped in my head. That's yeah. What, yeah. No, 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 no. No, but she Kate grows, Winslet she, is everyone's first she choice. Grows, she grows into. She grows into it. That's the point. Well, that's the thing about this movie. So Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman are two of the awkwardest people on the planet. In this movie. And well, this... yeah, because one of them is trying to pick up a 16-year-old, and they're like 50. He's in his 40s, if not 50, and she's about 20. She is actually supposed to be 16. Okay, well, you know what? Kate Winslet was young. 20, Oh, okay. but the character is 16. What about Alan Rickman's character? I don't Colonel... know. Colonel... He's actually supposed to be in his, like, 30s. Oh, see, what's... what's it's... It's Jane. That's fine for then. Don't do it now. It's weird. But then. I mean, to be fair, it's still weird. It was just accepted then for some reason. Sure. But you can't you can't blame you can't blame a Jane Austen story on. No. The normalcy. Of no, I, the, I don't. Of the I just society. I just blame Alan Rickman. You can't. It's he's just an actor. <laughs> you can't blame Alan Rickman for anything. What I was going to say. So but there are three main males in this story and it's and two of them are awkward as heck you know Mm -hmm. Hugh Grant and and Alan Rickman but then you have but then you have um James Fleet's character who is dashing he is the one you know he's the quote-unquote the the storybook prince right Right. picks her up out of the rain and carries her home he's Alan Rickman does that right but that's that's the but that's the point at the and he is the what looks like to be the desirable choice he is in fact the sleaze bag so the, it, this 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 movie is basically if they did this in a different way it would be like 
that girl who goes out with the star of the football team in high school, but her best friend, the jock, like her best friend, the bookworm was there the whole time. And then he takes off his glasses at the end and she realizes that it was him all along. That's what this plot is. Except that it's Jane Austen. Right. It's the, it, that is the story. We keep telling it over and over and over again. Oh yeah, that's why I said like she's she's very good at archetypes. Yeah, that's right. Or she creates she has right. Created she, those yeah, archetypes. she created the archetypes. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. So I if it's your thing, it's your thing. If it's not, it's not. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's it. But good performances all. Around. Yeah. If you like Jane Austen, definitely give this one a look. Yeah, and if you're even if you're an Alan Rickman completist, you know everyone loves Alan Rickman. Watch watch him not play a bad guy. Watch him play a decent human being. It happens. It does. It happens. You have some fun facts for me? Uh, I do. Sense and Sensibility. During filming, the Jane Austen Society telephoned co-producer James Seamus to complain about the casting of Hugh Grant, claiming that he was too good-looking to play Edward. No. No. I disagree. Well, Well, you know what they did, which was smart? There's no hair product, like, anywhere to be seen, especially for the men. They're just like, if it's big and floppy hair, that's what they have. <laughs> it's good. It works for it. Yeah. Uh, Kate Winslet admitted that she was terrified of Alan Rickman when she met him in the hair and makeup trailer. She thought he would think she was a terrible actress and get her fired. After a week or two, she got to know him and realized how sweet and warm he was. She ended up adoring him and would work with him again as, as her director and co-star on A Little Chaos. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, see, isn't that nice? I th- Alan Rickman, I'm sure, could feel intimidating, but he had only really started. His film career wasn't very long, even at th- at this point. He was more of a stage actor because Die Hard was his first film. Right, that's the 80s. Right, but it wasn't that long in comparison to filming this in 1994 because it came out in 95 for Oscars in 96. Sure. You know what I mean? When did Die Hard come out? I don't know, 88. 88, right. That's not that long ago. Yeah. You know, so in comparison. Emma Thompson has recounted that during the scene where Colonel Brandon approaches Eleanor and Marianne on horseback, many takes were ruined by the horse's flatulence. That's great. Eventually, they were forced to shoot the scene with the farting horse, and the rather loud reports later were edited out of the soundtrack. That's fantastic. I want that unedited scene. Just just them trying to ignore the horse's <laughs> farts. That's I yeah. that's pretty amazing. I would love that. Those are your fun facts? Those are my fun facts. Excellent. Well done. You're so good at your job. I know. Second. It's our highest rated segment. Fun facts. Yep. Who's it rated by? Uh me. Okay, that doesn't count. You can't rate your own segment. <laughs> yeah, you you also have to say more words than scoffing. I don't have to. But I require you to say more words than scoffing. Can't you tell that, that we're trying to fill time while you fiddle around with the computer? Yes, exactly. Okay. Jeez. <laughs> Just bear with me here. Sorry, the screensaver went on. I needed to make sure that we were still recording. <laughs> we were still recording. Yes, because we've had many slip-ups in the past, <laughs> and they're all your fault. <laughs> Moving on to Babe, directed by Chris Noonan, written by Chris Noonan and George Miller. Yes, that George Miller of Mad Max and Happy Feet fame. So it's not that weird. Uh, based on the book The Sheep Pig by Dick King Smith, starring James Cromwell, Magda Subansky, Christine Cavanaugh, Miriam Margulies, Hugo Weaving, and Danny Mann. 
This movie was nominated for Best Picture, Supporting Actor for Cromwell, Director, Adaptive Screenplay, Art Direction, and Editing. It won Best Visual Effects. Yes. Yes, it did. The plot of Babe, if you are unfamiliar with this charming movie, is Babe, a pig raised by sheepdogs, learns to herd sheep with a little help from Farmer Hoggett. This movie has no right being nominated, being nominated for Best Picture, but I also like this movie quite it's a, a bit. It's a good it's movie. Super it's super fun. It cute. is very uh, Burton-esque. Kind of. I think it's Burton-esque without the macabre. I, but I understand. Oh no! What I, you I, mean. Think, I, I think I think the I think the opening credits are very macabre. You have the illustration of the pig that opens up, so its intestines fall out. No, yeah, that's a good point. But that I don't think that. Although it does set a strange tone, I there was a. I want to say it was James Horner or Alan Silvestri or something was was actually hired to compose the music, and their music was very strange and macabre, mm-hmm. so they were replaced with a different composer because right. it was just like, it took the film in a weird direction. Look, if you're going to steal my fun facts, at least get the names right. Oh, it was, was James it? Horner. Yes! Ha ha! Ha ha! I'm going to just delete that one now. I told you that I knew stuff about I'm sorry, it was Jerry Goldsmith. Ha ha! Oh, see, you didn't even know. Um, I told you I knew fun facts about all these films off camera. So You're horning in on my territory. That's not true. I'm just really smart. So anyway, I think this movie is very cute, and it aged very well, I think. I think it's a little slow in the middle. It's a little slow in the middle, mm-hmm. but it gets you on the animal sides. And by all rights, really started the talking animal movie craze, right? Yes. This is the movie um, that did it. I don't think it was slow in the middle. This movie, this movie is a pretty brisk ninety minutes. So ninety two minutes from yeah. from start to end credits. It's not by any stretch long. And just there's a little tiny segment in the middle, maybe ten or fifteen minutes, not even that. Just kind of goes all right. Like let's just let's just move it along just a little bit. Um. Okay. The only time I the, I could see that um when it's made to look like Babe attacks the sheep. Yeah, that's it. Because you know why? Because no one in their right mind would think that not just Babe, but just a pig that size could do that. Right. Like it's it's fairly. He's a farmer. Right. He knows what a you know, he knows what a wolf attack or a dog pig, attack right. would look and, like. And pigs and hogs and stuff they can be dangerous. Right. Like they're not. But at the same time, not that pig. They can definitely be dangerous. I've I've seen Animal Farm. Exactly. Exactly. Napoleon is a monster. Yeah. Whether he's a pig or a human. <laughs> or human. Um, I, you know, it's funny you bring up the, the talking animal craze. This, you know, this has some, some, very little, some CGI. Yeah, very Most little. of the animals in this Jim are Henson either puppetry. are either real or animatronic puppets. Mm-hmm. I wish... With all my heart, we could go back to those days. Yeah, you know. I they too. look real, and they don't give off a fake realness. Well, that's why this movie was nominated for Best Editing. Even if it didn't win, it edited around every conceivable flaw yeah. that the real animals or the puppets might give off. There's a scene <laughs> in which Babe is talking to the duck whose name I can't remember. Ferdinand. Ferdinand, thank you. And it's all it's basically all in shadow, but that's because like just the back and forth, it, it something about it wouldn't have looked right. Right. And so they hit it in shadow and it works great. 
Mm-hmm. It's just, I, it's such an impressive feat. So I understand why it was nominated, though. I still think it has Technically. No, no business being nominated, but it is kind of a feat. I mean, is it? This is is this before or after Jurassic Park? This is this is after Jurassic Park. So I mean, Jurassic Park doesn't have talking animals, though. No, but Jurassic Park has giant dinosaurs. Sure, but Jurassic Park is also the first film to feature computer generated imagery, CGI, right, from start to finish in the whole in the whole film. It's an extremely important film for the industry. But be- the first movie to do that isn't always the first movie to be recognized right. for doing those things. A lot of times they are. Sometimes they're not. So, mm. but I, I, I think that might exist. It, those are two maybe two different categories. You know, like talking animal craze is different. Because, you know, we've had movies about animals before. Yeah. Even on this we've podcast, had, we've had we've, movies about animals before. Right. We've had talking animals before, too. I mean, right. Disney... Right, exactly. But I and is this before or after Homeward Bound? It might be after Homeward Bound. This is definitely after Homeward Bound. Yeah, because no, why? Because their mouths don't move in Homeward Bound. <laughs> right. You know, you know that's that's an important feature in yeah. this film. But I think the movie. I mean, it gets you on all the animal sides very quickly, which is yeah. hard to do. But also, your main lead, your male lead, James Cromwell, he, he barely says anything the whole movie. Right. I don't know if this is a fun fact or not, um, but was a vegetarian. Was a vegetarian. I I did I did not you did do that one. This. So he was. I knew James Carmel was a vegetarian. Right. Became a vegan after after this, this movie, movie. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But he barely says anything, and I mean, he basically campaigned for himself to be yep best supporting actor. Cost him sixty grand. Yeah, crazy. But he's really good in it. Maybe not the best thing he's ever done. I think he's better in L.A. Confidential. But yeah. But I, but it's hard. The man, the man acted against basically his okay. wife, yep. who was like thirty years younger than him. Yeah, yeah, and you know, not in the film. Good makeup, really, yeah. really solid. But and then and then a pig, an animatronic, a puppet. It's you know, and it's, Hugo Weaving. It's it's Mark Hamill on Dagobah, but the whole movie, <laughs> you know, and Hugo Weaving. Who is just who's not who is who's one of the dogs? Yeah, he's so, he's a sheepdog. Yeah, so it's I, it's it's very it's a very impressive film that way. It's a it's a cute fairy tale, it's, and it's an original fairy tale. Well, no. I wouldn't call it a fairy tale necessarily, but I understand what you mean. <clears throat> yeah, you know, it's doesn't it involve it, magic unless you count the talking animals themselves, which is what but, I count. But they're. That's not technically magic because it's not brought about by magic because they can't. We don't know. Far, Farmer Hoggett can't hear them speaking in English. They he only hears the sound. So it's just their English is just so we understand how they're communicating with one another. Right. So they're not actually speaking English. No. Therefore, it is not a fairy tale. Well, now I just don't think the movie's as good. Okay. I thought this was a smart movie about a talking animal. And now I realize that the animal's not talking. Right. They're just really smart instead, which is in some ways more impressive if you have to think about it. Do you have more I, want an enti- I want an entire movie with Ferdinand the Duck, who thinks he's a rooster. I feel like that would wear thin after 10 minutes. Yes, it, it definitely would. But I still want it. You're, you're more than welcome to, to fight for that. Feel I'm going free to. to tell me some fun facts. All right. Fun facts about Babe. He was a pig in the city in nope, the in, sequel. Oh, in the sequel. 
Because baby pigs grow so fast, 48 pigs were used during the filming of the role of Babe. That's a lot of pigs. That is a lot of pigs. When James Cromwell was handed the screenplay for Babe, he thumbed through it to see how many lines he had. He saw that he didn't have that many. He only had 171 words of spoken dialogue and 61 words that were sung. I don't remember him singing, though. It's that dancing sequence. I think he also sings a little bit in there. So decided that he would do this as a nice, easy film. What he didn't realize was that he would have more screen time in this film than any of his other previous films. That's right. He's on screen pretty much just as much as Babe. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he he's so good. He's great. James Cromwell is great. Yeah. This 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 is, I I was not looking forward to this movie. Really? I was not. Really? It seemed a little too saccharine. Okay. But uh, but it wooed you over. It did. Because Babe is just stupidly cute. Ferdinand is stupidly cute. That's also true. Babe is good. Babe is good. <laughs> this movie to me is like pinnacle. 90s middle of the 90s baby we're feeling good clinton era he's still in office whatever <laughs> you know like people are just feeling happy about life it, that's, Rem- that's what this is remember a couple of years ago when we did that animated movie for best picture this year we're gonna go with an animatronic pig that's basically they're riding that wave yeah hey people loved it when we when people love beauty of the beast we're in the same ballpark it's still the bees let's go with babe <laughs> What else came out this year that could, have been, that could have been nominated? It's crazy. Craziness. So speaking of interesting choices, let's hop over to the foreign film, Il Postino, The Postman, directed by Michael Radford and Massimo Trossi, written by Antonio Scarmetta, who actually wrote the novel, I should say, and the screenplay adapted by Fiorio and Giacomo Scarpelli, among six other writers who I don't want to name. Just so you know. I've been looking forward to this movie to see you have to pronounce all these names. I am marrying an Italian woman, so I've been practicing. <laughs> Starring Felipe Nora, Massimino Trossi, Maria Grazia Cucinota, uh, Renato Scarpa, and Linda Moretti. Suck it, Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> and John Smith. And John Smith. Starring John Smith. John Smith. Joanna Smith. John Smith. Anyway, uh, this movie was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Massimo Trossi, who posthumously, I will say, right off the bat. Um, I'll I'll leave that fun fact to you. You said you weren't going to include it. No, I didn't say that. Oh, I thought you said that. <laughs> Posthumously for him The details I'll leave to Palmer Best director, best adapted screenplay It won for best music Yes, your face This is an audio This is an audio (laughs) podcast Really? People can't see your face But it's kind of that it's that it's that emoji with the two eyes and the uh, it's the two regular dot eyes and the thin mouth line just straight across. Yeah, pretty that's, much. That's the that's the face bomber made. I mean, I didn't dislike the music. No, I thought the music was nice. It's very nice music. But but that's it. Yeah, it's very nice music. That's it. Yeah, it's fine. No, didn't it also win a writing award or something? It won. Um, it won best. No, it was nominated for something for foreign, um, best foreign language writing or something like that. Because I thought it said that he had won the Oscar post- posthumously. No, he was just nominated for it. 
Really? Yeah, I know. Okay. The Best Actor Award went to somebody else that I can't remember. Look it up. Well, I'm doing this. We don't have awards here. So anyway, the plot is about a simple Italian postman who learns who to always love rings twice. He always rings twice. Who learns to love poetry, and he starts delivering mail. Well, he actually becomes a postman so he can deliver mail to the very famous poet Pablo uh, Neruda, who is kind of in exile because he's a communist. And so, for those who don't know, Pablo Neruda is the very famous poet who has a line in La Vie Boheme from Rent. That is how I know of him. What line? Where they're just naming off poets. Oh, sure. Uda, Buddha, Pablo Neruda. Oh, yeah. Pablo Neruda is a wonderful poet, but I guess if you're not into poetry like like Palmer, then why would you know? But you probably... His his poems are probably in an English textbook from high school. And by probably, I mean they're definitely in that English textbook from high school. <laughs> um, anyway, so... So the simple Italian postman uh, uses uses poetry to kind of woo Beatrice, the the local beauty, and it's all about love and life and friendship and happiness. But it's mostly about the friendship between Pablo Neruda and the postman, whose name I cannot remember for the life of me because I didn't write it down. Um, so, but that's basically the plot. People. Apparently, I will say retroactively because I do not remember, went nuts for this movie. Like it was just super popular because it was like, hey, it's Italy and it's life and it's love and it's friendship. And it's so 90s that way. And And it's not nearly as bad as Life is Beautiful. I love Life is Beautiful. I know you do. Unpopular opinion, I know, but I like Life is Beautiful. So anyway, um, but so. It's all about those things that it kind of gut punches you at the end in its own way. Yeah. Which I wouldn't say comes out of left field. It comes out of a different ballpark. That's more like it. But I think that is the thing that people walked away with going, oh, it, it's so, it really hits it's you. It's so tragic. It's so tragic. It hits you right there. It makes you love life, but also makes you think about life, you know? And that's basically. Well, that's basic. I mean, that's basically the movie. I think it's it's cute. It's sentimental. It's well shot. It makes you want to go to Italy. You know, all the things that any movie it makes you want to read poetry. If you're into that sort of thing, Palmer's not. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, so it's fine. But I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily get the craze. Nor do I understand why it was nominated for Best Picture. Among maybe other films that came out that year that I didn't bother to look up. Yeah, it's a it's a good thing. Like you always you always want to be like this shouldn't have been this, and over other stuff without ever researching the other stuff. What other stuff came out? I don't know. I'm sure there were movies, but I'm not <laughs> the one making the argument that this shouldn't have been nominated. I don't know. It's just not that it shouldn't have been nominated. Like I said, it's a good movie. It's just not. I don't. I don't know. It's just, it's good. That's it's, it. It's, it's that's good. It. It's just good. And I think with a better ending, it's a better film. The ending. It's actually like, I actually liked the ending. See, I didn't. Cause... It was the thing that made me go, oh, I see. <clears throat> see, but it's so, it's so completely opposite of the rest of the movie. Sure. That, um, I think it actually, it, it, it does, disservice the movie 
for one, it comes off oddly like pro-communist. Billy Madison came out. Yeah, why wasn't it, why no. wasn't that heavyweights? Come you're, on, you're you're losing me here. Die Hard with a Vengeance. Okay, that one should have been nominated. Seven, Casper. Some would argue Seven should have been nominated. Jumanji, Waterworld, Batman Wait, Forever, Waterworld, Waterworld. Came yeah, out. Waterworld should have been nominated. It's also the ninth highest grossing film <clears throat> of 1995. FYI. Uh yeah, it. Toy we'll Sto- get to Toy it. Story came no. out. In 1995. No. Yeah, I don't know. No. One of I'll give you Waterworld. I'll even I, give you a seven. I, I'm not going to give you either of those. Though I would give you... I'll give you a seven, actually. I will not... Outbreak came out. Ooh, I love Outbreak. Yeah, I know, but you like bad movies. Uh, no. The Englishman I'm, went up the hill and came, came down, down a mountain. mountain. That's a good movie. <laughs> But I that think, is a that is a well titled movie. It is a well titled movie. It really paints a picture. It does. But I think that movie. I think like the like the. But that movie exists in the same maybe ilk as as Il Postino. It's just it's it's there. You, you know. I think I think it has sure it has maybe good themes about you know, the necessity of friendship and love across ages and this and maybe the I think what helps communism on people I think what helps is if there's a foreign movie that really captures the box office in America it's going to get nominated it will probably get nominated sure because that doesn't happen all ba- that often barely crouching tiger hidden dragon got nominated pan's labyrinth got nominated life is beautiful Got, For some reason, got, got nominated. nominated. But no, but you're right. You're right. There, it doesn't happen frequently. But right. when it does, bam, they're there. Yeah. I think the difference is that I can, in a lot of ways, I understand, especially with Pan's Labyrinth, and I haven't seen Crouching Tiger in a long time. Crouching because, Tiger because, and Dragon was very good. Because like well, it's not they, my they're, type they're, of they're, movie. They're crouching but that and is... hidden. They're hard right. to see. So I don't remember much. But also by Angley. Yes, I remember. I I remember seeing it in theaters even, but I haven't seen. I I understand why those are nominated. Yeah, I don't understand why why. This, although actually, looking at some of the films that came out, maybe I understand. Though the top grossing films of the years are rarely the ones that get nominated. Right. That was why there was the ill fated. Let's do a popular movie category. Yeah, right. That's, yeah, we didn't even have to talk about that. It didn't even last long. I know, thankfully, because it would have just been three hours of me like ranting. Uh, th- this movie's good. I like I said the ending. The ending's weird, but I'm not wrong. Like this movie comes off pro-communist, right? Well, no, I, I actually, I sort of, I get what you mean, but the end is pretty anti-communist because of what happens, in my view. Um, I don't think so. Is that a communist? Well, we're going to spoil it. Right. He's at a communist it. rally and dies. Right. Right. So if you because they're trying to crush communism. Right. Oh, sure. Okay. Like that... the hero of this becomes a communist because his friendship because of his friendship Which with would... Pablo Neruda. Oh, that's it. maybe it is kind of pro communist. Yeah. Wow. wow. What a world. All like right. I saw that. I'm like, like. And the fact, like, they they heavily, like, he was at this pro-communist rally when the when the political climate is never really 
used for anything in the movie other than to get Pablo Neruda to to this town. Like sure. he's in exile because Chile is no longer communist, mm-hmm. and he has to leave. Okay, right. That's the only time the politics are brought up until the very end. Yep. Which uh, is a little weird. I know. They mentioned it a few more times, but it's not... Well, maybe that's how you make a pro-communist film. It's not in your face, right? Because then people realize, and so all of a sudden they're thinking about how yeah. how nice you know this whole thing, how nice this whole thing was. But then, you know, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. Fun facts about this movie. Also, fun one well, fun facts and one not great fun fact at all, but actually just a fact that's pretty somber, and we should all hang our heads in sadness. Okay, so that fact. The last. This was the last film that was rated U to be nominated for the Best Picture Oscar. Rated U? Yeah. What is U? Oh, Universal. For, like have a Universal. I believe audience. it's. Uh, I believe it's a European. Yeah, I, rating I, I, I system. Know that. I'm just. I'm just adding something in. The theatrical that's run in the, New York City. In the actual sad thing, can you? Can the, you do the sad one? Fine. The theatrical run in New York City was so long, almost two years. It was still in theaters after the video release and its premium cable run. I'm I'm speechless yeah. that you're just going to ignore the sad fact. Interesting fact, however, that was. Please tell me the that sad was pretty, one. That was, it was pretty, pretty interesting. Good. Writer slash co-director slash star uh, Massimo Trossi postponed heart surgery so he could complete this film. The day after filming was complete, he suffered a fatal heart attack. That's the sad fact. Day yes. after. That's crazy. Day after. It's crazy. It was. It's... Yeah. That's sad. He's quite good. He's quite good in it. He is. He carries the movie. Oh, totally. Totally carries the movie. Like the guy who plays Pablo Neruda just kind of like shuffles along and is like, I'm Pablo Neruda. He basically... That's like I said, it's good. It's I think the end is great when he's going around making the recordings of all the sounds like this is how like I learned to love, you know, my yeah. island. And I think, it, like I said, it makes good statements, but I can see how it gets swept up in like the 90s, like best pictures, but it doesn't maybe hold up as to. Yeah, it's one of those like, oh, that's the choice we made, huh? It's one of those movies. It's not bad. No, it's not. It's it's. It's good. I liked it. You can watch it on YouTube for free because that's basically the only place. <laughs> the only you way can, you can watch it's the it. The only way you can watch it. <laughs> no, I believe you can actually buy the DVD for money. For a lot, <laughs> for, for like, money. For a lot. Usually of, they for, don't just give it away for lots of money. Like, but but really, it's it's much. I looked it up. No, it also is much. Apollo thirteen. Much heart, much heart throbbing. Apollo thirteen, directed by Ron Howard, written by. William Broyles Jr. and Al Reinhardt, based on the book, nonfiction book, Jim by Jim Lovell and Jeffrey Kluger, starring Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, Gary Sinise, Ed Harris, and Kathleen Quinlan, nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor for Ed Harris, Best Supporting Actress for Quinlan, Adapted Screenplay, Art Direction, Effects, and Music, James Horner, got nominated twice in this Oscar roundup because he was also nominated for Braveheart. Yep. Lost twice, because technically, that stinks. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. And it won Best Sound and Best Editing. 
So it's based on the true story of how NASA must devise a strategy um, to bring the astronauts in the what could have been fatal Apollo 13 launch to go to the moon back home. And so you have Kevin Bacon, Tom Hanks, and Bill Paxton stuck up in space and everyone's trying to get them home. It is pretty cut and dry, actually. It's a real, like, we're going to space. We got to space. We're stuck in space. We, we got to get home. We got to get home. It's pretty cut and dry. There's really nothing else about it. It's, it's kind of, in some ways, like, um, in some ways, a more modern version of, like, say, The Martian. It's very cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Mark's there. Got to get him. Got to bring him back. You know, stuff yeah. like that. Gravity, except it's just her in space. You know, you know, no one's going to be like, you got to bring her home. No one. She's just like I got to bring myself home. No one's here. George Clooney's not here anymore. What do I do? Was um, he ever really there? No. Maybe he was in her heart. Um. Anyway, I think Apollo thirteen is a very well executed movie. It was back in nineteen ninety five. It still it is. Still today. is in nineteen ninety. And still is in twenty nineteen. Yep. Whatever year go. we watched this. Yep. Wow, it was a long time. <laughs> wow, this movie came out a long time ago. Jeez. So it's cr- everybody in this movie is great. The it, it it holds up because most of it is practical effects. The stuff that's not practical, like some of the space launch stuff, you can tell. But you know what? 1995 effects, they're still pretty good considering. Yeah. It, it's it's good from it's good from top to bottom. I get why Quinlan and Ed Harris did not win their best supporting actor their awards. Like they're good, but I don't think they're they're not the best. You know what I mean? I think they deliver their usual goodness, which is why they're maybe nominated but don't but don't win all the way all the way through. Right. I think James Horner's score is excellent. Quintessential American. Yeah. You know, you make me want to go to space, but not because it's a horrifying place. I'll never go there. (laughs) You make me want to go to space, but not because I saw the rest of this movie. No, because I saw the first half hour of this movie. I was like, man, space is cool. Right. Yeah. Dr. Evil, how was space? Space was cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I I hadn't seen Apollo 13 from start to finish in a long time. I actually forgot how much of the movie was them getting ready to go. Right. It's a good amount. it's 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 a real good amount of the film. And it's. Great. I don't know if this is one of your fun facts, but I use Apollo 13 for a section. Just like the sheer amount of not trouble, but I mean, commitment these actors had and Ron Howard had and the cameramen had because they they did vomit rockets to do all yeah. of the to do all of the the weightlessness. And so they would just go up in a plane and dive bomb in a plane and film four minutes of a, of their scene at each time. But if you figure that also includes what scene they're in, the emotional weight of that scene, the uh the the effects is it cold out? So like all that stuff had to be built inside the airplane for yeah. it to go up and dive and they did it over and over and over and over again for hundreds of times. That's they all should have won Oscars just <laughs> for that. And maybe that's because I am not a thrill junkie. Like, I hate roller coasters and all that stuff. And so, me, like, what they did is unthinkable right. to me. Like, completely unthinkable. I would never respect. So much respect for all of you. I wonder, a, yeah. I wonder, is it is it possible to do those effects now without going through that? Yeah. Yes. See any movie that came out in space now. 
they all they they're all out in the they're all out in the open like just right. just strings and green screens and yeah harnesses and underwater and all that different stuff but no they can't you just create a vacuum they would die because there wouldn't be air they have suits not in the not in the not in the ship though not in Apollo 13 itself yeah i suppose they're so. not wearing helmets all right yeah so you win you win this round gravity i i am aware the movie or or the no the, the movie should never win anything ooh that ooh strong words about gravity interesting <laughs> sandra bullockator i see no, i love sandra i just dislike that movie I haven't seen it since it was in theaters. Oh, you're so gonna. I actually can't comment. When did it come out? 2013? Yeah, 14, right? 15. 14, 15. So, hey, it's coming up soon. All right. Um, yeah, this movie holds up really well. And for a two, two hour, 40 minute movie, two hour, 30 minute movie, this movie flies. It flies. Like, you don't. Like a ship in space. Yep. It is so well acted, so well shot. Um,. Ron Howard's best question mark? No. Ooh. Ooh. What's Ron Howard's best film? The paper. Oh, you love the paper. I love the paper. A movie I've never seen, so I can't comment. Yeah, you have on to watch it. it one of these days. Such a great cast. Is it is it nominated? No, it's not. Then I'll never watch it because this Because <laughs> this is my life. Because now. this is my life now. This is what consumes my life. So you think this movie is better than yes. Beautiful Mind? Yeah, oh, definitely. Do you think it's better than Frost Nixon? Yes. Do you think it's better than Rush? Uh, I've never seen it, but yes. Well, I you're will say, gonna. No. I will say, uh, I like the uh, the acting is better in Frost Nixon. There's more. There's more. Say gravitas. Sure, but I think that. I think a lot of that has to do with Frank Langella. I think that has to do with Frank Langella. Even just like maybe the right. content of what they're what they're doing, what they're talking about. Right. I know. mean, this movie's acted well. The, the Apollo thirteen straight through, right from top to bottom. I mean, except I can just Tom Hanks to me is just Tom Hanks. You know, this is one of those movies where he's kind of Tom Hanks, but not Tom Hanks. I was thinking about it because some of the maybe quirks that I associate with Tom Hanks are not present in this film. No, they, they did say like a lot of his mannerisms and that were very, Weird. were very gym level. Oh, see, yeah. I think when, when we say that, I think some of that is actually his voice. Tom Hanks has a, dis- a distinct voice, he has a distinct right. voice. And sometimes actors with distinct voices, it's hard to see them in other characters. Sometimes I have that problem with somebody like Jeremy Irons, right? Very distinct yep. voice, hard to see him as anything but who he is. But I know he's being other people. Yeah. Know? So, I don't know. I don't know. Again, but the movie from top down, just, it's so good. This is a very well-made movie. Like, I, it would be hard-pressed to nitpick anything, really, in this movie. Nope. Nope. For my money, it could be a little shorter, but just because I think I watched these in such close succession, it has nothing to do with the movie. It's I don't want to hear more. that. I watched four yesterday. Well, that's your fault. That's that's, <laughs> that's 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 literally your fault. You knew we were doing this for weeks. Every time I sat down, something came up. It was weird. So yeah, just something else I wanted to watch. Um, <coughs> no, I. What was I going to say? I completely lost my 
thread. Oh no, because because we watch them in short spaces of time to for this podcast for you, the listeners. Sometimes I want them to be shorter, just so I can be like, oh, thank God, I can watch another one. Right. Babe was like the greatest gift in the world. <laughs> ninety, 90 minutes, minutes, every Oscar animated. Movie, I watched that during breakfast. <laughs> right. Oh man, man, you have a long breakfast. Well, I mean, when you have to watch three other movies, you're not really moving for the day. That's a good point. Uh, speaking of not moving, let's move on from this and move into fun, fun facts. facts. All right. Uh, Your fun facts. Gene Spiegel Howard, Ron Howard's mother, plays Blanche Lovell. Oh, oh great scene. Buzz, Buzz and Buzz and Neil. Oh, are you on the space <laughs> program, program too? too? <laughs> great scene. I think the other one is like Buzz, like, uh, was it Armstrong, like just staring at the TV. And they're supposed to be distracting her. Like, one staring at the TV, Buzz is, like, pouring iced tea. And he's like, so did Jim make Eagle Scout? Oh, my God. <laughs> so great. So great. The famous understatement was actually made twice by two astronauts. Jack Swagger said, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Mission Control said, this is Houston. Say again, please. Then Jim Lovell said, ah, Houston, we've had a problem. On the recording, Swigart, Swigart is garbled at the beginning while Lovell is clear, so the recording of Lovell is often heard leading to the impression that he said it, even though Swigart said it first. It's commonly misquoted as Houston, we've got a problem, or Houston, we have a problem, because we've had implies the problem has passed. Ron Howard chose to use we have. Hmm. Well, there you go. Yep. That's actually quite interesting. Thank it's you. Because we—that's grammatically incorrect. Because the problem is still persisting, right? So, but well, look. But they, he was kind of under a lot of pressure. Say they were stuck in space. So yeah. I'll give it to them. Ron Howard stated that after the first test preview of the film, one of the comment cards indicated total disdain. The audience member had written that it was a typical Hollywood ending, and that the crew would never have survived. Wow, that's. I mean, hilarious. he's not wrong. Like, I remember when I saw this, like, when I saw this movie, I was young. Like, I saw this in a theater with my father, and I didn't know anything about, like, the true story. Like, I knew it was based on a true story, but I didn't know anything about the story. Um, so we went to go see it, and I'm like, they're, they're all dead. Mm-hmm. You know, they live. And my father's like, oh, that was a really good movie. Unfortunately, you know, I knew the I knew they were going to live because I knew the ending. I'm like, you knew the ending? Is this a famous story? <laughs> what? Is this a famous story? <coughs> you like almost had a Zoidberg impression, but you like <laughs> didn't go for it. No, nope. no, nope, that's okay. That's all right. But I don't. Um, th- it's funny because you know how I feel about movies based on true stories. Yes, incorrectly. When, when the sto- when the story is so well known. And you play it like it's not. I get frustrated because you're like, I know what's going to happen. So there's no tension. This movie is one of the exceptions to the rule because I know what's going to happen. And I still get nervous. It's because you really love space. No, I hate space. You know that. You love movies about space. That's true. I love movies about space, but I actually hate space. I'll never go there. No, I guess I don't. It's not like you really have the option. That's not true. I probably will one day. <laughs> We're young. And technology is like, bam, it's flashing but, by. I mean, I've always said you need to have those moments to make it a compelling movie. Because if you don't have those, just watch a documentary. 
Sure. No, I don't disagree. But I, it's it's about angles. That's the thing that like I liked First Man because it was what Armstrong going to space did to the family. Not is Neil Armstrong going to make it to the moon? Obviously, he is. It's a different angle on a familiar story. Therefore, I'm more I'm more attuned to it. I appreciate you giving. I appreciate you giving a different. A and I disliked First Man because there was no tension. It was just. It was just a. But that's because. It, but you didn't. Two-hour movie. But then you didn't care about the family facts. tension. No. You see, but that's 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 just on you though, that you don't care about the family. I don't. But that's. But that's just your opinion, though. They're not the ones going to space. You have a weird perception of reality. Sometimes. Most of the time. Mm. We'll never know. No, we know. It's true. <laughs> it's this is, a, this is more of a true fact than any of your fun <laughs> facts. You're very. It's very well known. Speaking of fun facts, do you have fun facts about this movie? More than what you just gave no. Me. That was three. Oh, okay, great. Okay, I thought I thought you really forgot that I went through all the fun facts already. No, I I just didn't remember that you did three. Yep. Okay, so moving on to our last film, best picture of the year, Braveheart, directed by Mel Gibson, written by Randall Wallace, who, as a side note, um, shut up, shut up, shut up. I was going to say wrote <laughs> one of my personal favorite films, uh, The Man in the Iron Mask, which is oh, he wrote that one. Yeah, it was the movie he wrote right after this. Actually, nice. Which is not a great film. No, it is. But it's great. I love it. It's so melodramatic. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as good as the Three Musketeers. Mm, I think it's better than Three Musketeers. Oh, I, I think, think the Man is. of the Iron Mask story is better than the story of the Three Musketeers. Right, but I mean, it's not better than the Disney Three Musketeers. I disagree. But we're not here to talk about either of those movies <laughs> pretty much ever, which is a shame. But my family is closely related to the Three Musketeers. Just saying, it's just a. Uh, you know, quite a Richelieu and stuff. It's a big deal in my family. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. Anyway, starring Speaking Mel, of Cardinal Richelieu. Starring Mel Gibson. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Weird transition. <laughs> Sorry, Mel Gibson, Brendan Gleeson, Sophie Marceau, Patrick M- Patrick McGuhan, Angus McFadden, and Catherine McCormick, among a few other people. I actually, after S- Sophie Marceau, I really just started to pick and choose who I liked, and yeah. I put them into the... So Patrick McGuhan is, is Edward I, Angus McFadden is uh, Robert the Bruce, and Catherine McCormick is um, Wallace's wife, who's Moon, uh, Moon, Mor- Morin. Aha, I remembered. Aha. Anyway, this movie was nominated for original writing. First one to be original writing. The rest of them were adapted. Costume design, sound, editing, music by James Horner. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Sound Effects, Cinematography, and Makeup. For the blue, obviously. It's all for the blue. <laughs> anyway, for those of you who are, do not know, but probably know, uh, the story revolves around Rebel William Wallace. William Wallace, who, after his secret bride, is executed um, for assaulting an English soldier after he tried to rape her. He revolts against King Edward I of England and starts the, the, Scot- and starts the first Scottish rebellion. Um, and of course, I'm sure as many people know, because we're going to spoil it, people have seen Braveheart, they at least know who then basically was a martyr for the cause and dies at the end. Yeah. Thus kind of ending the first Scottish Rebellion. I don't picked up think by it's the, the Bruce. first Scottish it's, Rebellion. It's the first. Because it's people were first. rebelling when he was younger. Like, that's how his father dies. It, but it, the first organized, actually, we're doing something, we're ah, winning okay. a Scottish Rebellion. I have actually, I actually have a history book here. That I'm going to read a section to you because Braveheart, above anything, it, it is hit 
for its vast inaccuracies. <laughs> like vast. It's not you can't even say based not on even, a true story. Not even a little. You, not even a little. This is a, a two William Wallace fact. was actually a sheep. No, so William Wallace. <laughs> so fun f- it, this movie couldn't be more inaccurate if you just added Gromit into William Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> so obviously it's, you know, very, it's, it's very serious. Yeah, it's a very serious take. Braveheart executed for major historical inaccuracies. But though Wales would never be an independent again, save for a decade of rebellion at the beginning of the 15th century, it is for his wars against the Scots that Edward I is remembered. Awareness of this period of history was raised in the mid-1990s with the release of Mel Gibson's Braveheart, a film based on the battles of Scottish knight Sir William Wallace, and a movie that couldn't have been any more historically inaccurate if they had added the plasticine dog and called it William Wallace and Gromit. It's right there. I didn't make that joke up after all. (laughs) Anyway, but even if they weren't all wearing kilts and covered in blue paint and waving claymores to, quote, end a century of tyranny... The previous hundred years had been among the most peaceful in history. So, no, William Wallace's rebellion started from a series of peacefulness. So the film being like, hundred years of tyranny, shut up, things were fine. I mean, they were fine, you weren't a whole nation, but, you know, they were fine. The battles of Stirling Bridge and Falkirk really did take place in a war that marks the beginning of Scotland's old alliance with France. Edward I had been asked to arbitrate in a Scottish succession crisis, which had been threatening to drag Scotland into civil war. He chose John Bale as king and ordered him to support him in a war against the French. The Council of Twelve Scottish Ministers met to discuss the the complex diplomatic and geopolitical issues before them. I hate the English. Oi, I really hate the English. Oi, the English. They can't stand the bastards. They refused to go to war for Edward and for good measure deposed the weak and pliant monarch Edward had chosen. Edward now declared himself King of Scotland in March North, not because he suspected that just saying it might not be enough. Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. I've lost my place. Okay, found it. Edward left to defend his territory in France, which happens in the film, right? Okay. But rebellion broke out north of the border under William Wallace. With his distinctive Gaelic Australian accent, Braveheart inspired the very Scottish-looking forces to put on the tam o'shanters and defeat the English by eating haggis and then tossing the caber at them, as the film so accurately depicts. There you go. Edward returned and eventually captured Stirling Castle, the key to Scotland's central defenses, and, and eventually Wallace himself was captured, hanged, and drawn and quartered, and his head stuck on the spike head stuck on a spike alongside the head of Prince Llewellyn outside the Tower of London. The idea of Welsh and Scottish representation in the capital still needed some development, but Scotland proved far harder to police than Wales, and every time Edward left, rebellion broke out again. Edward finally died within sight of the border during yet another attempt to crush the Scotch. On his tomb were inscribed the words Malleus Scotorium, great word, which, although it sounds like some sort of perennial disease, translates as Hammer of the Scots. Though it, was unusual, though it was usual for the king to be buried in a gold casket, Edward ordered that he be buried in a lead casket and only upgraded once Scotland was concert, conquered. The casket was never changed. Poor Edward, because he was Edward. But anyway, so broad strokes, correct. There was a guy named William Wallace. There was a guy named William Wallace that did, in <laughs> fact, lead the Scots on a rebellion against Edward I at those two battles that you do see in the film. That's about – and he was drawn in quarter and, and, and right. wrong. That's about it. Yep. 
um, Princess Isabella didn't even marry Edward's son until after William Wallace yes. was dead. Yeah, that is the most awkward romance of any movie that I've that I think I've come across. There's no point to it. It feels like a producer in a studio went, but there needs to be a romance. So here you go, make this happen. That's what but it he had was. A romance. Yes, I know. That's why it's weird. There's one at the beginning, and it's quite – it's actually quite affecting. Yeah. Like the beginning – I sound like I'm down on this movie. I actually (laughs) love Braveheart. I love this movie. I mean it's it's really good looking. If that movie was made today, it would be all blue. It would be all blue. Everything would be blue. It would be blue. Well, I don't know because – so that coloring you're talking about, that blue cinematography color, you know, that we're talking about, that didn't happen until Oh Brother Where Art Thou. That was the first film to digitally recolor mm-hmm. film to make it look like a different area or a different segment than than we wanted to than we wanted to look at before. And so, you know, they filmed a lot of Brother Where Art Thou in like the Everglades and it's all green yeah. and lush and all this stuff, and it's it's a very tan and dark looking film. Not dark, but you know, not not pretty. It, I don't disagree with you in some way, though, because it's Scotland, quote unquote. Even though most of the film was filmed in Ireland, there you go. Um, is that one of your fun facts? No, it's oh, not. okay. Um, people people mistaking Ireland for Scotland is not really a fun fact. No, I do love the Scottish and the Irish running out to one another and being like, "Hey, how are you?" Also inaccurate. Yeah, didn't happen. Didn't happen. They actually did fight, but. That wouldn't have worked so well for audiences. But I think the point that I'm trying to make with all of this is that it actually doesn't matter when it comes to Braveheart, I think. I think the movie makes good enough statements about peace and liberty and freedom and like a total badass with a giant sword that flings it at people that would never happen. You know, things like that. And I think it works. And I think it sets a template for for a lot of like other epic movies like this i mean there are certainly templates far before this spartacus ben hur things like that but the you know the reluctant he- the reluctant hero who faces a tragedy and then ha- and then joins the ranks cuz he's actually a good fighter and leads the rebellion stuff like that it's basically another mel gibson film yeah it's the patriot yep it's exactly what this is it's also kind of gladiator, you know, like, a, you know, a few in around the same time. So or a few years later, around the same time as the Patriot. But like Gladiator and the Patriot, also incredibly inaccurate films. If you're looking at real history, doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't matter because that's not the story. They're not there. Like you said before, for Apollo 13, it's 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 a if you want that, watch a documentary. Yep. This is just a movie. So just enjoy so just enjoy the movie for what it is. I think it is super melodramatic. It is like <laughs> pinnacle nineties. Like why are they having sex on rocks in the middle of the night when you can see their breath? That's a terrible idea. Get a tent. Why didn't one of you bring a tent? Like all of you. Just bring some flannel. Any of you. Bring a kilt. Yeah, live in Scotland. It gets right. cold it there. It gets cold. What are you doing? Things like that. But ultimately, I enjoyed this film. You can say whatever you want about Mel Gibson. He's a talented man. I, you know, like you could say what it, you could, you could bash him and even rightly so mm-hmm. for things that he has said. But 
but he's all, but he also makes good he makes good movies, which doesn't right. excuse the things that he says. Correct. But you know, we have a lot. If you t- if you take a look at all the artists from filmmakers, writers, painters, sculptors, you take a look at their personal lives from stuff that we're like, oh, look at that, the you know, the you know, the, the people that are in museums and we laud and all that stuff. Their lives are weird too, and yeah. they said they ha- had weird beliefs that we don't agree with either. But we can still enjoy their art. I think you have to separate them at at some point. It depends on it depends on the instance. Yeah, sure, and I think it depends on how close you are, who you like, who they hurt, you know, right. things, you know, things like that. But I think Mel, it, it seems to be Hollywood is forgiving Mel Gibson. He he kind of did his penance in the eyes of of the community at least i, I don't know about the world at large well you know that's for every individual to, I, to assess I, on their own i agree but i but i think removing the person out removing the person away from removing the person from the traits and you just look at their the product they have created mm-hmm. it's a good product yeah his his best film or no not j- directing, not not his directing. Yes, you think Braveheart's his best directorial film? Yes. What what else is there? There's Passion of the Christ. There's Apocalypto. There's... Yeah, you're not you're not winning that argument. Am I miss- I'm missing one. You're missing a few. I mean, he's done a bunch. Um, mm, I I might say passion of the christ is a better film than this not be, just because it's a little less melodramatic it, it the, sometimes 90s melodrama is a little much for me uh, i think i understand passion of the christ i still think it's a little overboard sure interesting well we're nominated for best picture mm, i think it was nominated for best foreign language oh that's weird but understandable but also strange because it's not. That was the uh, that was the argument that year too. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, he directed. Right, man, I don't love Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, actually, I do. Um, Feels like two completely separate movies. You feel like two completely separate movies. But see, that's a good example of Hollywood forgiving Mel Gibson, Those right? Because that's movie. that's when he kind of started, and then that was when uh, like R- Ricky Gervais, oh, right. like really went after him, and he he was doing. Uh, he was doing a presentation at the Golden Globes that year, mm. and Ricky Gervais kind of went after him. Mm. Uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I I do like Braveheart. I love The Man Without a Face, which was it. two years prior. It is a very, very good movie. Um, it's got Nick Stahl mm. and Mel Gibson. Um, it's about a boy who is having problems at home so he kind of he kind of um kind of runs away but doesn't mm-hmm. um stumbles upon this guy who's half of his face is burned he's a recluse he used to be a teacher kind of takes the kid in teaches him they develop a friendship um there's issues with him when it comes to young adults mm mm-hmm. Um, prior to the start of this movie, okay. Um, but it is it is such a good movie. Hmm. All right. Well, I will look into it. Not nominated, so one day. Yeah. In my eighties, maybe. 
when we're finally done with this podcast, as many people I'm sure feel. <laughs> so, what, what do you what are your thoughts on this movie? I mean, I agree with you. Like, this is wholly inaccurate, as as you kind of pointed out. But I don't care. I don't it's think... a it's a good it's a good mm-hmm. it's a good throwback to historically placed epics. No, that's a good point, but not accurate epics. Right. Because most um, most epics most film epics are not accurate. Right. So in the in the Hollywood glory days you have the sword and sandal stuff. Sure. This is a throwback to that the kilted boot stuff. Right. This is a this is a definitely a throwback to that style of film, but a little bit more modernized. Sure. I you know, you're right, but it it, it this film, Braveheart, really started this new swing of, of epics, know, epics all, all over again that we're really not in anymore. I think it no. started to kilter off around Kingdom of Heaven. Ah, kilt, I got it. <laughs> I'm so, I'm so unconsciously clever. I can't even help it. So, so I think it holds up. I think so. I think I guess some of it is very melodramatic. It it definitely holds up. I will say throwing broadswords does not hold up. That doesn't work. Those things are super heavy. I mean, not only does he throw a broadsword, but like he th- like he's in line with people and like he takes one step out and throws it. Like he killed everybody around him. Everyone. <clears throat> yep. Uh he's very good at facing Mel Gibson's very good at facing a tragedy. And then single-handedly killing everybody afterwards. <laughs> I've seen him do that in many films, and he's good at it every time. He's got he's very intense, but he also has this really light playfulness to him. He he's also like, has very like very blue eyes, super blue eyes. Yeah. Uh, so I will say one of the downsides when I rewatched this um, because I felt very lazy and didn't want to go grab the DVD. I watched it on demand, and the way that it was available on demand was through um, IFC. Hmm. So I got the television cut of this movie. Ew. Ew. So there were times that, like, they cut out parts, and I'm like, these two scenes shouldn't be next to each other. What the hell's going on? No, no. The only time that I, I didn't, I own it, so I didn't watch it that way, And I, but mine's digital, so I, yeah. didn't, have <laughs> I didn't have to go grab a DVD. I didn't have to get up. But there is... When when Ill, when uh, when Morin dies, there's no scene telling you that that Wallace learns of her death. He then just shows up at the camp and kills everyone. So you, the audience, have to imply that he found out somehow. Yeah, because it doesn't tell you, which is oh normal, good. Which I is, thought that was I no, that was which, taken out. no, no, no. Which is normally fine, except that out of context, like it doesn't work. And so, this is a three-hour movie, right, so like exactly. you had time. You had time. You had you could insert thirty seconds of him crying. Yeah, like learning and crying. Like, come on, I've seen him cry in films. He's really good at it. You know, so whatever. Anyway, so that's Braveheart. You have some fun facts. I, I have do. one. I have one fun fact. I don't know if you want me to do. Go it, ahead. I know yours is not. Mine's not where you get yours. So. Uh, I forgot his name. Give me a second. Patrick. Yeah. So Patrick McGuhin, you know, Patrick McGuhin plays Edward the first, notably for us also played Billy Zane's father in the phantom. (laughs) People need context. 
Peter Jackson met with Patrick McGuhan to um, they met with him. He met with him to play Gandalf for Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. and and Peter Jackson found him grumpy, like he was just super grumpy. So that that's where that conversation ended. But in a different world, if he was a nice man, that might have been our Gandalf. Nice, yeah, because because Ian McKellen was tied up with. Magneto. He was filming X Men at the time, right. so he wasn't really a first. He wasn't a first contender. So that's my fun fact. Good job. Thank you. When asked by a local why the Battle of Stirling Bridge was filmed on an open plain, Gibson answered, "The bridge got in the way." I, a local, answered, "That's what the English found." That's a good. I. I. That is a a great fun fact. It's also true. Yeah, I have been to the. I have been to that bit. I've been to Scotland where that battle actually took place the bridge would have gotten in the way. Yeah. Yeah. Many Scots were offer, were offended by the film's portrayal of Robert the Bruce, who is also considered a national hero. I was offended by Robert. I was offended by the portrayal of Robert the Bruce and I'm not Scott. Well, actually I am Scottish, but, but I'm like, but I was like, this is an, it's an awful depiction of Robert the Bruce because he, he is actually Scotland's national hero. Yeah. Like dude is, but it's not wrong at the same time because he did, supposedly portray William Wallace. There's almost no information about William Wallace. There really is. Especially as young, especially as earlier years. Churchill, his history of his history of the United Kingdom has one sentence. It's like volumes and volumes of history. One sentence about William Wallace. The story about William Wallace, there's not a lot of information. That's the sentence. That's all there is. Thanks, Churchill. Thanks so much. I'm glad you well, were I here mean, to tell me that. Because it was about England, not Scotland. No, it was about both. Yeah. yeah. You can't. I'm sure if you go to Scotland, someone knows. They basically, well, yes, because, you know, they know where the battles were and, like, things like that. But the because he was a nothing, the only pe- people's, we know more about Robert the Bruce because he was a noble. So people wrote about his history. Right. You know, if you're a peasant, people don't write about your history. Yeah. You know, it, it, that still happens today. People are not going to write about our history. We're peasants. Uh, I constantly have somebody writing about my history. Yeah. Who do you think the guy next to me has been doing? Oh, hey, Joe. Yeah. (laughs) Mel Gibson, a notorious joker, directed some scenes in an Elmer Fudd voice and yelled cut during Marin's funeral scene by putting his arm around the actress playing her mother and hollering, will you put a sock in it? That's great. This caused the actress to go from crying in character to break character and laugh. Gibson also intentionally started a false rumor that Sophie Marceau... I think it's Marceau. Marceau was the daughter of noted French mime Marcel Marceau. Yes, I told you it was Marceau. Yeah. Womp womp. Yeah, Marcel Marceau. Yep. The most thing I know about Marcel Marceau is the joke from Friends where Joey co- Joey comes into the to Central Park and uh, Chandler is like caught making fun of the bracelet he gives him. He's like, oh, hey, man, we're just doing impressions. Do your Marcel Marceau. And Joey just looks at him and walks out the door silently. And Chandler's like, it's actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. There are All t- right. tons of facts about Braveheart, but we're we're out of time. We are. So we have our rewindies. We have the rewindies. Trademark. Trademark. I probably added one that I didn't mean to. Just FYI, I like when I throw you off. <laughs> Every episode, I add a new award. <laughs> this year, best blade of grass. Yeah, babe, obviously. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, best. Um, this is no particular order whatsoever. Best actor. 
Uh, so anyway, so if this is the first time listening to the show, we can only choose people who or films in the five choices that we have. And it doesn't matter what they were actually nominated for or anything like that pre- within the context. It's just if we think they were best actor, but they were actually a supporting actor. Oh, flipping well. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So starting off with best actor. Take it away. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Hey, good. Really interesting. <laughs> Mel Gibson. <laughs> yep, Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson for for Braveheart. People people are not up on the Australian Gaelic accent that he pulls, but it's all right. But I think the acting is good. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll give you. I'm going to go with Alan Rickman for sensibility because I'm on his side, and that's tough when I'm not really into a Jane Austen film. True. So I'm going to give it to. Alan but I mean, Rickman. when are you ever not on Alan Rickman's side? Um. About three quarters of the way through Love Actually, <laughs> if that helps. Okay. Okay, good. Best Actress. Uh, best Actress. Mm-hmm. Um, best Actress. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson for Sense Sensibility. I am yes. also on Emma Thompson's Sense Sensibility. Male heavy, male heavy movies. That was actually a tough call, but I, I think she's great. Yeah. So I'm going to give it to her. Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actor, Ed Harris. Ed Harris, good choice. I'm going to go with James Cromwell for Babe. You did Ed Harris for Apollo 13. Both nominated. Both didn't win, so there we go. Supporting Actress. Supporting Actress. Mm-hmm. Crap, I don't have her name in front of me. Blanche Lovell from Apollo 13. The Ron, Howard. Ron Howard's mother. Okay, good. See earlier part of the episode where I actually had her name in front of me. I'll give you crap for that later, but okay, <laughs> that's a fine choice. I'm going to go with Catherine McCormick, who plays uh, Morin, uh, Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson's wife in Braveheart. I think she's incredibly affecting in the small time that she's on screen, and the rest of the film doesn't work if you don't buy his depression, right. which you don't buy if you don't buy her. So it's all good. Cinematography. Braveheart. I'm also going to go with Braveheart. Beautiful film. Almost gave it to Apollo 13. So close. Going Braveheart. Special effects. Apollo 13. I'm going to go with Babe. Almost gave it to Apollo 13 for the vomit rocket. I'm going to give it to Babe because I can't tell. Apollo 13, some of the CG, I can tell. Mm-hmm. Production design. Uh, Braveheart. Braveheart, beautiful choice. Yeah. Great production design. I'm going to give it to Apollo 13 because they built a rocket inside a plane and then dive bombed everybody. I just can't. It's so good. Good for them. Best music? Uh, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. It's, it's tough between the two. Between um, that and... Between that and Braveheart. Mm-hmm. Um, Apollo 13 kind of stirs you, whereas Braveheart kind of fits the movie very well, which isn't always the case. Okay. I I think Braveheart stirs me and fits the film. I okay. think it's part of the film in, in a way that I think... I think I know they're American. I know they're, say, national heroes or um, it's the government or whatever. And that sound that James Horner created for Apollo 13 is there and present. But also, I think that the music is essential to Braveheart to make me know that Scotland, apart from them saying it's Scotland so many times. But you right. know, I, think that, I think that makes a difference. And the, really. the Scottish accents. And that. you know. But that can be anywhere. Yeah. You don't know. Best writing. Best writing, Babe. Babe. Yep. Interesting. Why? Because it's it's an original story. You know, it's adapted, but I understand what you mean. It's originally adapted. It's originally adapted. Ah, aren't they all, though? <laughs> That's good. I'm going to give it to Sense Sensibility, because even though 
even though it's not for me, I recognize that it's technically right. it's technically very good. Yeah. And so I'm gonna give it to that. And it's probably the least melodramatic out of all of them, which is funny because it's a romance, but it which is like weird, but that's fine. Best picture. Apollo thirteen. I'm going to give it to Braveheart, and I almost, which is fine. I again, I I was close with Apollo thirteen. They, and I they run neck and you. neck. I think that it's I, whatever movie you like, like whatever genre almost you like better. I think I think Apollo thirteen is actually, technically speaking, between the two, a better film. I think it holds up more right. anyway. But I just like Braveheart a little bit more. Yeah, it has which nothing is to do with it holding up. I just, I just like it more. Yeah. So, well, good for us. So you can find us at Academy Rewind at Gmail and Twitter. Palmer runs the Twitter. Don't yell at me. You can find me at Timothy PG thirteen if you want to yell at me about Palmer. Uh, you can also rate and review us at iTunes and find us all the places that can be uh, podcasts can be found: Pandora and Spotify and Google Play and Overcast and Satchel and so many all these other podcast apps. You then of course you can go to thoughtbubbleaudio.com and check out all of the thought bubble audio shows did you do any of your new show any episodes nope, of your new yet. show yet okay by well, the time then, this comes out probably maybe we'll find out yep. so Palmer might have a new show you'll find out at another time so until next time which is great because I think they're playing us off no I have some more people to thank too bad bye bye, bye.